0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Get the doc! Shepard?
1: Don't move. Won't go far. Should have been you. The line should have hit us. Should have hit me. That crossed my mind. I shot him down Yeah, I see I killed the ship that killed us Not very Christian You did what's right Coming through you, that means Almost nothing I'm long gone The dog will bring you around I look to be bored by many more sermons for you, Slip. Just don't move. Can't ought to be around, boy. Not one of your crew. Yes, you are. River. Come on! Hey. I don't care what you believe.
2: Just believe. Whatever you...
0: morning, London. It is Thursday, November 22nd, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughan. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now until noon. Oh, no, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade to into colour, colour to black
1: and white, under the
0: the number to call if you want to join in our conversation today, or write us at feedback at justwritemedia.org to express your opinions and comments on the show. We do read them all. You know, they are themes and subjects that will never go away in the discourse of human affairs, mainly because they speak most directly to the nature, I think, of mankind's existence. Belief versus non-belief. Theism versus atheism, theocracy versus democracy, wrong versus right, immorality versus morality, altruism versus selfishness, and in fact, even the very axiomatic issue of non-existence versus existence itself. Just some of the themes we'll be touching
3: on today. Robert, I know you have a more specific one that sounds very interesting. I'll be doing a book report. A what book I did report. on my summer vacation, I read a couple of books, Why Catholics Are Right mm-hmm. and Why Michael Coren is Wrong. Interesting. I know you've read his books, you
0: found them very interesting, and we've Mm -hmm. talked about it, so I'll be uh, looking forward to what you have to say on that. For my own part, I ran into two separate and very different commentaries in the London Free Press over the past few weeks, and they really got me thinking about how alike their supposedly differing, though not opposing, views were. One was written by an atheist and explicitly directed towards other atheists in a call for more community involvement by that group and the other commentary was written by a religious person and was implicitly directed towards other religious minded people given its call for an appeal to science in being a factor in determining what is morally right now the contrast i'm raising here is not about atheism versus religion or deism Uh, the two commentaries i've selected do not speak to that issue, and they aren't even commenting on the same subjects beyond, of course, the fundamental issue of atheism and religion, which we will be talking about. But here's a real clincher for me. In my opinion, I think both of the writers I've selected today, uh, both the self-professed atheist and believer, are in complete agreement with each other on the fundamentals of morality. And I would have to say both of them are a little off the mark, and that's what I want get across today the first one that grabbed my attention they're they're both from the free press by the way uh, appeared october 20th in the london free press and it's by grant lafleche atheist this is the headline atheists at least believe in your community and he writes i'm looking at you my fellow atheists Right away, I'm feeling kind of guilty, you know. Last weekend, I was part of a fundraising effort for the only shelter for battered women in my community of St. Catharines. The need is desperate. I had a lot of friends, believers and non-believers alike, who generously gave to the cause. The call went out to a couple of humanist, atheist groups to sponsor the walk. Virtually, no one responded. That left me shaking my head in wonder. Without fail... Surveys show people who are religious are vastly more generous. Some high-profile atheists, like Richard Dawkins, have their own charitable foundations that do great work. And there are secular organizations, like Doctors Without Borders. But at the grassroots level, that's interesting, there isn't much action. Rather, your typical atheist group is about poking religion in the eye while touting a superior moral position. The more serious-minded will talk about how to maintain the critically important wall between church and state, and about keeping fundamentalist beliefs out of science classes. But when it comes to helping their community, not much is going on. To my fellow non-believers, I say this. Yes, it's important to stand on guard on Jefferson's wall and defend science and reason, but if it's all talk, what are you merely or really doing? The time has come to move beyond mere atheism, shelve your excuses. Your community needs you." You got a funny look on your face, Robert. That's, that's, that's
3: the essence of the essay. Do you have any immediate reaction? You're looking Well, troubled. actually, you sort of informed me before about what this fellow was talking about, mm-hmm. and I always cringe at the word atheism, and I think you do too. Um, I don't believe in God, and for that matter, um, I don't think you do either, at least not in the definition that people usually define God. And uh, so, therefore, I would be called an atheist. And yet, I don't wear a label on my jacket saying I'm an atheist. You're you're speaking directly (laughs) to the issue I wanted
0: to bring up and and illustrate how much we have to face this all the time with everything we see in the papers. You know, the writer of this piece, I think, is either very confused or unfocused in, in his consideration of atheism. His criticism of atheists inconsistent as it was is off mark because he's looking at atheists as some kind of cohesive group (laughs) there is no societal group as such Mm -hmm. which is what accounts for the inconsistency in his argument that's why you know atheists don't give but here's two examples of great atheists doing great things like i mean how can you say that in the same breath right and as to specific smaller atheist clubs or association he's missed the law of identity the very concept of atheism Should have been a clue. (laughs) But when you treat atheism as some positive, cohesive philosophy of thought or belief, the rest of the errors in logic merely follow the mistaken premise. Unlike religions, and this is where we find ourselves, people think we got our foot in two camps here, which explicitly form under united beliefs, ideologies, and common charitable purposes. Atheism is not an organized nor united belief system. Nor does atheism, as such, express any specific purpose, whether it's explicit or implied. You were just talking
3: about how you didn't like being called an atheist, Robert. And well, it's not that I don't like well, it. I mean, I, I'm an atheist, okay? It's just that I don't think that the word um, defines me. I don't define myself by what I don't believe in. <laughs> Correct.
0: You're, you know, and I think that comes to whether atheism is used as a description... Which is epistemological, and you don't object to that, mm-hmm. or whether atheists, atheism or atheist is used as a label, which is what you object to. Yes, and that's social metaphysics. Uh. Now, even though I myself don't, as such, believe in deities, I too reject being called an atheist because I, I'm going to go one step further. I think I no, no one can really be an atheist. It's a description of what you are not. <laughs> Right? It's not a description of what you are. Right. Uh, Basically, it's saying you are not a theist. And religions, or, you know, which means you're, you don't believe in religions or philosophy, that, that you voluntarily support by both belief and practice. That's what religions are. As a descriptor, atheist would only be relevant in the greater and preceding context of theism. Then, yes, you could call us atheists. If we're having a discussion about theism, sure. then we're the the ones that wouldn't go along with that. A non-theist. But the reason I personally do not believe in literal deities is not because I'm an atheist, but because I'm objective. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the funny thing is the purpose of forming an, an atheist association is to discuss or oppose theists and theism. That's the only reason
3: you would form one. Otherwise, you would, atheism wouldn't exist without theism. That's right. As a matter of fact, I always th- put the onus on a deist or a theist um, to convince me of their God. And they have yet to do so. So, therefore, I remain me as I remain
0: <laughs> an well, atheist. <laughs> You certainly, I mean, Yeah, we've listened to all the arguments, but again, it all depends on how, whether you take it literally, whether it's symbolic, on what level you, you think of, of whatever is God in your mind. But, you know, atheist is one of the few words in the English language that, of course, describes what a person is not without using the word not in English. Although, of course, that's what the A in front of theist does mean. Yes. It means not a theist. But that brought to mind a thought the difference between the label and the description what if instead of using the word atheist we said well that person's a non-theist instead doesn't it feel different
3: it does atheism has become a bit of a slur hasn't it it has a pejorative yes oh you like atheist. it's like the scabs to, <laughs> to the unions you know yes.
0: <laughs> and although the definitions of each are the same the psychological impact of each term is very different i think from the other atheist is a group term uh, non-theist is an individualistic term although you can say they are but i mean you they're non-theists i guess you put an s on it But even when it's used in the plural it still has a more individualistic connotation to it
3: just doesn't roll off the tongue no. as well as atheist.
0: non-believers on the other hand has an entirely different connotation. Are you a non-believer, or are you an atheist? Or both, or neither? Can you be one without the other? I haven't quite worked that one all the way through yet. But I think that what's going on here is grouping apples and oranges. The very notion of grouping people as atheists and combining that with some other cause or purpose is a non-sequitur from the outset, like our writer did. He said, well, you should be supporting this particular cause. That's just a non-sequitur. Suppose that a group of individuals decided to form a club or association around some common interest, say, a book club, a computer tech club, or a charity for children's Christmas gifts. To ask members of such groups to identify themselves according to some atheist religious categories, you know, you could do that. What would happen? Okay, so you take a survey at the computer tech club, and you discover that 60% of its members are atheist or agnostic. Does that make the tech club an atheist club? (laughs) You know what I mean? Or if the survey revealed that 80% were church attenders, does that make the club a religious club? That's how people are thinking. Yes. They're bringing in total non-sequiturs into a debate. The very question sounds absurd. Clubs and associations are formed around specific purposes and interests. just so happens religious purposes coincide with those charitable interests. That's why they get together. And a lot of the people who support the religious interests are atheists, believe it or not. They're right in there among all the churchgoers. Atheism is neither a purpose nor an interest. It's about nothing, as we've (laughs) constantly (laughs) been saying on the show. In fact, since it is self-evident that atheists would not exist without theists, and since theists are by their nature religious, then atheists should also be considered a religion in the sense that they, as a defined group, would not exist without the, the- theist that initiated the whole point-counterpoint situation in the first place, right? And and I'm serious about this. If you're going to even go to the trouble of grouping atheists and such, then why not treat them as another religion since there are other religions who are recognized as religions who do not have a deity? Correct. So why are atheists suddenly singled out on that? That way at least all the groups could be classified the same, essentially As religious, for want of a better classification, and then we could focus on the real issue, being discussed behind the atheist versus theist discussion, and that, of course, is morality—the issue of morality itself. Now, there's still one major outstanding objection that I have to Mr. Laflache's appeal to his fellow atheists, but I'm going to return to that after we take a look at our second commentary, which actually opens by asking the question, can an atheist be moral? And calls for a use of science to help us determine just what is or is not moral. We'll return with that discussion after these additional perspectives on our theme today.
1: The doctor said they're going to keep her overnight. Try to bring the fever down.
2: You know this woman she was talking about? Dominique? She's a secretary in my office.
3: I slept with her once about a year ago, and then I called it quits. Why? Everything was a power struggle with her.
2: Dominique was such a manipulator. It's Angie that I can't figure out getting involved in this hocus-pocus. Had you called it quits with her, too? No, no. I was very close with Angie, and she knows it.
3: I thought she knew it. This is all my fault. If I had just spoken more clearly to her, if I just hadn't been afraid of my own feelings...
2: ...maybe things wouldn't have got so unreal. Fear is real.
1: How can this be my reality? Somewhere, deep in your brain, the image of that face, that being was there.
3: But the only power it has is what it gets from you by virtue of your belief in it.
1: What do you do when a belief is hidden so far inside you, you can't even see it. Sometimes
3: you have to let yourself get lost in the dark.
2: Then when the demons rise up, you keep your eyes open and push through to the other side.
3: How can you confront a belief that, that's all so covered up?
2: In the end, all we have is belief and free will.
1: is lame, and religion without science is blind. But is there still a place for faith in a world of science? Has our ability to unravel the mysteries of rainbows made them any less miraculous? Science may be the method by which we give name to God's miracles, but faith is the question that arises Every time an old mystery is solved. The elegant explanations discovered every day in Eureka are the very reason to believe in something greater. Something beyond mathematics. Something divine.
0: Something divine. Can an atheist be moral? asks writer Goldwyn Emerson in London Free Press on November 17. And the headline reads, Good Moral Path Includes Scientific Thought. And to that question, he answers, the simple answer is, yes. It is often assumed, and this is, this is him writing, it is often assumed that the more religious a person is, the more ethical that person will be. Religious adherents are concerned not only with doing good things for their fellow human beings, but also with pleasing God yet there is a wide range of religious opinion held on moral issues apart from the basic theological question of whether God exists it is obviously difficult to know what God thinks science can help us determine whether we are being good stewards of our planet are we depleting our natural resources and polluting our air and water is there really climate change and if so is it the result of human behavior On balance, the growth of scientific knowledge in the past hundred years is quite remarkable. I wonder if the same claim can be made about religious knowledge, he concludes. (laughs) Now, that's written by... Goldwin Emerson in the spiritual section of the paper.
3: He and he he writes many articles of that nature. There, any thoughts just on what you heard there? Oh, I I think the questions that he raises are valid. The answers, of course, are no, 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 no. (laughs) Science has nothing to do with morality. Morality is a choice in behavior, and um, science is reality itself, fact.
0: You know, the question can an atheist be moral? I think is far less relevant and useful than it would be to ask can a religious person be moral? Given the admission, now this is the admission of the writer, that there's a wide range of religious opinion on moral issues, is it not glaringly obvious that morality is not determined by a belief or non-belief in a deity? I mean, the religious people are saying this all the time. And yet, at the same time, denying that you can be moral without believing in God. It's like a contradiction in their own viewpoints. Like, I mean, whoever thought that was logical in the first place? Uh, Only human beings capable of making choices can be moral. Whether they are atheist or
3: religious is not the criteria of whether morality exists. I would suggest that atheists, by definition, and part of being a non-believer, is more moral than... A person who is behaving <laughs> out of instruction if the scripture says you must do this and you must not do that then all you've done as a theist is to accept that the scriptures are right and that is your only action you're not acting doing something or not doing something out of choice then while an atheist all of his actions are out of choice and therefore is more moral because morality to have morality, you must have freedom of choice and thought. That's an awesome argument,
0: Robert, and I'm, it's almost like you're, you're, you're reading my, my mind here. Oh, good, uh, just know, made it up. It, it, yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's an argument that follows. Atheism and theism are each a consequence of a moral decision. They're not the source of it, or a moral indecision. It's a choice, which means, and a person who chooses to be religious is choosing as well. Yes, to, but he's know. only made one choice. Perhaps, I will
3: follow yeah. the scriptures.
0: That's his only Depending on what... Well, if that's his choice, but other people might be religious because they hold a set of values that encompass something greater, you know? That's well, true. There's, 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 you have to be Granted. careful sometimes. Yeah. But, but it certainly means that the condition of morality precedes any issues or debates about atheism versus theism. So, I guess, just even to speak to your point, the essential question to ask would be, which is the moral choice, atheism or theism? That was the very <laughs> thing you answered. One is the opposite of the other belief and non-belief and in this case in something specifically called god which has different meanings or significance to almost everybody who uses it Uh, the the other is not a belief in that being god and not a belief in anything else either that atheism So the question, can an atheist be moral, is not the real question being asked. In fact, given again that the author of this essay acknowledges a wide range of moral opinions within the religious community, his real question is, can atheists be as irrational as believers? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's it. And I think the simple answer is yes. Of course. As our two selected essays, one by an atheist, the other by a believer, are completely agreed on morality. For them, that morality is all about altruism and self-sacrifice, serving the needs of others while placing your needs aside. Which, by the way, I
3: would say is totally immoral.
0: (laughs) Depending on why you do it, of course. Mm -hmm. And this is where both the atheists and believers share their common moral ground. Um, both are altruists, both believe that morality is about giving and charity and self-sacrifice, serving the needs of others, whether those needs are battered women in our shelters or a battered planet to whose stewardship we should be sacrificing our own selfish interests. That's the argument we've heard from both of them. And this is what morality has come to mean to a disturbingly large segment of the population. The other thing you'll always see morality associated with is issues of sex almost exclusively, really, in the courts. That's where they really consider issues of consent. Let's put it that way. Morality ends where the gun begins. That was a favorite Ayn Rand saying of mine. Remember that one? Mm -hmm, Yes. And, of course, the point being made by this phrase is that once the element of coercion has been removed from our decision-making process, then and only then can choices be made on anything we could call a moral basis. You have to have the gun removed. And then, now, using the gun can be a moral consequence of something, but that's, a, that's another issue. Of course, to be moral in any capacity, whether it's personal or objective, is to choose, on a personal level, between what you have identified yourself as good and evil, and on a more objective level, what you have identified between right and wrong. And, um, you know, given the opinions expressed by both commentaries I've chosen to look at today, I think we realize that they both think very much alike, I was just thinking, uh, looking back on the argument where um, Mr. Emerson is talking about science will help us determine whether we're being good stewards of the planet, and et cetera, et cetera. Science, you know, it's incapable of the things suggested there. Whether climate change is or is not the result of human behavior is not a moral issue. It's not a determinant of anyone's being a good steward of the planet. I would regard... In fact, most environmentalists as being evil. Okay, does that make, is that a moral issue? That's another issue. It's got nothing to do with the the environmental issue per se. And I think they're bad for the planet too in terms of a lot of the things they're suggesting. But the idea that there can be any morally right kind of climate (laughs) is at the root of that reasoning. You know, there's somehow some morally right climate out there. Now, we're coming down to the bottom of the half hour, and I just uh, we're going to be leaving here for a second for the break. And last week, um, we devoted the last half of our show to the television series Firefly, if you recall, from which our show opener this week and our next audio sampler will originate. Uh, there was simply no way to do justice to the entire Firefly TV concept the way we covered it last week from an arts and entertainment point of view. But had I picked what I thought might be the most significant philosophical tension within that series, I think this next sampler might have been one of my choices, and it speaks to the issue that we're talking about today. And uh, so this is from the Firefly series, Movie Ender, the one you asked me about, Serenity. And the following exchange is between the atheist Mal, the captain, and the preacher. book who, on the subject of belief, not of faith, notably have an interesting discussion, a very compelling one. And when we return on the other side of the break, we'll discover, while Mike, Michael Corrin believes that Catholics are just right, not, not right-wing, eh? I'm <laughs> <Why> not sure. <laughs> Would that mean everyone else is wrong?
3: Hmm. I think that's the implication. Oh, wow. Well,
0: stay tuned. We'll try to sort it all out by the time we continue our journey in the dire- right direction after this. <laughs> Thanks for taking us in again, Shepard. You got a plan?
1: Hiding in a plan? It'll do you for a spell. The folks here will be glad
0: of the extra coin. But the alliance will be coming. And they're after this girl with a powerful will. Look mm-hmm. to hear the of their boots any moment. You won't.
1: This isn't a palms-up military run, man no reports broadway no warrants much as they want her, they want a hit that means closed file it means an operative it is trouble you've not known i could have left her there if i had no hell i had every reason in the verse to leave her lay and whole anchor it's not your way, Mal. I have a way. Is that better than a plan? Only one thing's gonna walk you through this, Mal.
3: Thief. You know I always look to you for counsel, but sermons make me sleepy, Shepard. I ain't looking for help from on high. That's a long wait for a train don't come.
1: When I talk about belief, why do you always assume I'm talking about God?
2: the bloody world up with bloody people they can't afford to bloody feed
1: what are we dear
2: protestant and fiercely proud of it
1: why do they have so many children
2: because every time they have sexual intercourse they have to have a baby but it's the same with us harry what do you mean well i mean we've got two children and we've had sexual intercourse twice that's not the point we could have it any time we wanted really Oh, yes. And what's more, because we don't believe in all that papist claptrap, we can take precautions. What do you mean? Lock the door? No, no. I mean, because we are members of the Protestant Reformed Church, which successfully challenged the autocratic power of the papacy in the mid-16th century, we can wear little rubber devices to prevent issue. What do you mean? I could, if I wanted, have sexual intercourse with you. Oh, yes, Harry. And by wearing a rubber sheath over my old fella, I could ensure that when I came off, you would not be impregnated. Oh, That's what being a Protestant's all about. That's why it's the church for me. That's why it's the church for anyone who respects the individual and the individual's right to decide for him or herself. When Martin Luther nailed his protest up to the church door in 1517, he may not have realized the full significance of what he was doing. But 400 years later, thanks to him, my dear, I can wear whatever I want on my John Thomas. And Protestantism doesn't stop at the simple condom. Oh, no. I can wear French ticklers if I want. You what? French ticklers, black mambos, crocodile ribs, sheaths that are designed not only to protect, but also to enhance the stimulation of sexual congress. Have you got one? Have I got one? Uh, Well, no. But I can go down the road any time I want and walk into Harry's and hold my head up high and say in a loud, steady voice, Harry, I want you to sell me a condom. In fact, today I think I'll have a French tickler, for I am a Protestant.
1: Well, why don't you?
2: But they, they cannot because their church never made the great leap out of the Middle Ages and the domination of alien Episcopal supremacy.
1: But despite the attempts of Protestants to promote the idea of sex for pleasure, children continued to
2: multiply everywhere.
3: Boy, I hope Michael Corrin has a good sense of humor. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I know he does, and uh, he even... Quotes Monty Python in his book, "Why Catholics Are Right." Oh, really? What was it, heresy? He talks about nobody expecting the Spanish Inquisition. Uh. <laughs> so, over the summer, as I mentioned what before, what can you add possibly to what we just heard? I don't. Well, know. <laughs> actually, yeah, I think we can just end the show right there. <laughs> so, Michael Corn's books, "Why Catholics Are Right" and "Heresy: Ten Lies They Spread About Christianity," are the books that I read. Three weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with the author and his charming wife at a uh, Freedom Party function called Reading, Writing, and Relativism. I was the master of ceremonies and I had the honor to introduce Michael Korn, as well as our two other speakers at the time, Salim Mansour and Dr. Stephen L. Anderson. A little background about me first, I think, before we get into this, just to show you where I'm coming from. I was raised in a Catholic household in Newfoundland, at a time when the Catholic Church's significant authority in that province was waning due to the Mount Cashel orphanage's sexual abuse scandal. My own parish priest, Father Jim Hickey, ended up in jail for sex crimes against children. I was, for a short time, an altar boy, and taught by Christian brothers and Jesuit priests, and so I have some idea, not only about Catholicism as a religion, but about the criticisms against it. And just as an aside, I have to note, in case you're curious, that I was lucky enough to escape any abuse at the hands of Father Hickey. So... But as I matured, I grew away from the church and attended my last service at the age of 16. For decades later, I rarely gave the religion um, or the church a passing thought, simply assigning it to that place in my mind where I put all other faiths and beliefs not founded on reality. Reading Korn's books on Catholicism and its critics, however, had me considering once again what I had deliberately left behind. Gorn's books were both informative and challenging, and I actually encourage people to go out and get them and read them because they are a good read. Informative, in that he goes into some of the history of the church and the gospels, which I had not known about. And although I took religion classes um, in school, uh, of course I went to Catholic school, sure. so religion class was, I think, a mandatory. Course, um, it wasn't my best topic, and to this day I couldn't tell you one thing I learned from it, to tell you the truth. But now, having a broader perspective as an adult, I can read about the history and influence of the Roman Catholic Church with a little more enthusiasm. And I can certainly appreciate its relevance in history, in politics, in philosophy. Corn's books delve into the usual criticisms of the Church, the Crusades, the Inquisition, the persecution of Galileo. These are interesting to read about, to be sure, but a bit of old news, and quite frankly, not criticisms we hear much about these days. Apart from the history lesson in Korn's books, which I did enjoy, I take issue with many of these arguments in favor of Catholicism against the church's, and against the Church's critics. One of my criticisms is that he often uses the very same tactics of the Church's critics against them. If someone defames your character by saying, for example, calling you a, a pedophile, it simply isn't enough to say, yeah, well, so are you which is precisely what Corrin does to those who have criticized the church on the basis of its history of child abuse at the hands of priests. In effect, his argument is that, yes, some Catholics abuse children, but so do other people in other organizations. I happen to agree with Corrin that you don't necessarily attack the foundation of an organization based on the criminal behavior of a small minority of its members. But the so are you argument is not convincing and a bit of a digression and, and i would have expected a little better from michael on that one
0: i think what often comes up with that argument is merely to illustrate that there
3: they are trying
0: to illustrate that there is no greater incidence of some particular act in one community than in another and uh but i don't know that that speaks to the argument given the nature of this community You know, supposed to be, again, a position of trust. Look what's happening in the city here.
3: It's the hypocrisy, I think, is the argument there, that you Mm. can have priests who are, you know, um, preaching one thing, doing another. There you go. That's what it is, yeah. It is, yeah. I think he spent an inordinate amount of time on that topic in his books, though. it's, It's just simple to say that, listen, you don't judge an organization based on the criminal behavior of a few in that organization, especially an organization of a billion people—yeah, no kidding—I mean that <laughs> seems self-evident, out. doesn't it? Yeah, Corin's treatment of atheists, though, and here we go—you're going to tie right into the first half of this show, because Corin spends a lot of time on atheism and atheists making the same mistakes that you identified in the first half of the show. His treatment of atheists shows a common ignorance of the term. And again, an overgeneralization of people who have nothing in common other than the fact that they don't believe what he believes. To reiterate, atheism is not a collective, a cult, an organization, a drive, a community, a religion, a philosophy, a political force, or a motivation. It is nothing except a disbelief in a God. It's really good. It's a discussion group about theism. (laughs) (laughs) To quote from one of his books, quote, more men and women were slaughtered in a couple of weeks of the terror of the atheistic French Revolution than in a century of the Inquisition, unquote. To add the adjective atheist to French Revolution is to suggest that it was a movement only by atheists for only atheism. This is certainly a strange and myopic perspective perspective on that historical event. Okay, I would never have attached that word to it. No, and he's the first and only person I've ever (laughs) identified the French Revolution. This is an atheist revolution. Again, to quote from Michael Coren, quote, It was the French Revolution and the cult of the godless that introduced mass citizen armies and mass citizen slaughter, unquote. Again, sorry, a very blinkered view of history. Quote, if we want long-term evidence of an ideology controlling and oppressing science, we'd be better off looking to the great atheist regimes of the 20th century, unquote. He then mentions Stalin and the, quote, atheist cultist Hitler, unquote. The distinction between regimes or movements led by popes and priests, imams, clerics, and evangelists is that they explicitly say their regimes or struggles are about their deity and religion, while the communists and the Nazi regimes were about, guess what? Communism and Nazism. Right, their religion. Not atheism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amongst the atheist bashing, Corrin does present a compelling yeah. argument as to why Christians, all Christians, should be Catholic. It goes like this. <clears throat> if you believe the Gospels, and if you believe you can't pick and choose which passages from the Gospels to believe and which to dismiss, then when you read about Jesus calling his d- disciple Simon, who he called Peter and Cephas the rock, and about how Simon Peter should lead, feed, and tend his flock, and that whatever Peter does on earth is done in heaven, then you should draw the conclusion that Jesus was passing his authority as a teacher onto Simon Peter, the first pope upon whom the church was built. I found that a compelling argument actually, if you believe in the gospels and you believe in the Abrahamic God, which of course I don't. But if you're a Christian, that is a compelling argument. Why dismiss that particular section of the Gospels, if it's not just simply not wanting to uh, bow to an authority of a a living person? This brings us to the crux of the matter, though. Why believe in the God of Abraham? In Why Catholics Are Right, this is not specifically addressed, and its omission, I think, is glaring. If you can't prove your God's existence, or at least why we should believe in him, other than suggesting we believe in him because it is written, then everything you postulate after that, I think, is fairy tale, a house built on quicksand. There's no foundation there. In Heresy, his second book, Corinne takes the existence of God on more directly. Unfortunately, his reasoning is based on misunderstanding. The usual argument is presented, the usual argument being for the complexity of life is such that. Such complexity cannot come about by chance. This, of course, demonstrates an ignorance of the meaning of the word chance or randomness. In fact, there's no such thing as chance or randomness. There's only cause and effect. When we, in our ignorance of all causes, call an effect we can't explain, a random occurrence, we're admitting our ignorance of all the causes leading up to an effect. Chance and randomness are admissions of ignorance and not refutations of the law of cause and effect. The ignorance surrounding evolution is a similar argument. We use the word random to describe changes in DNA which don't seem purposeful, and of course they're not. But to suggest a master plan by an omniscient deity, I think, is going to stretch the fabric of credulity. I'm going to take a little break now, but a bit more humor, and again, I hope that uh, the Catholics out there have a bit (laughs) of sense of humor. These are, of course, from Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Well, and when we come back, we're going be, to get a bit more into uh, the topic be, on God. Before we do go on, I just did want to point out that, you know, last week you you touched
0: on the Vatican commentaries on the latest James Bond movie, Skyfall, mm-hmm. right? and. In retrospect, I think I can understand why, when Monty Python's Meaning of Life and a lot of their other movies were released, the Vatican placed those movies on their Do Not Watch list. I'm not surprised. I remember my mom coming home from the church with with the with the bulletin, and it have would have a list of movies Catholics weren't supposed to watch, and Monty Python movies, the early ones, they were all on there. So maybe what we're about to hear is will help you understand why. (laughs) Okay.
3: time it is it
1: <laughs> now uh, Vincent Tessa Valerie Janine Martha Andrew Thomas Walter Pat Linda Michael Evadne Alice Dominic and Sasha it's your bedtime <laughs> now don't argue Laura Alfred Nigel Annie Simon Amanda... wait I've got something to tell the whole family oh quick go and get the others in Gordon <laughs> The mill's closed. There's no more work. We're destitute. Come in, my little loves. I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. No, no, that's the way it is, my loves. Blame the Catholic Church for not letting me wear one of those little rubber things. Oh, they've done some wonderful things in their time. They've preserved the might and majesty, even mystery, of the Church of Rome the sanctity of the sacraments, the indivisible oneness of the trinity. But if they'd let me wear one of those little rubber things on the end of my cock, we won't be in the mess we are now. Couldn't mummy have worn some sort of pessary? Not if we're going to remain members of the fastest growing religion in the world, my boy. He's right. You see, we believe. Well, let me put it like this. There are Jews in the world There are Buddhists, there are Hindus and Mormons, and then there are those that follow Mohammed, but I've never been one of them. I'm a Roman Catholic and have been since before I was born. And the one thing they say about Catholics is They'll take you as soon as you're warm You don't have to be a six-footer You don't have to have a great brain You don't have to have any clothes on you a Catholic the moment that came Because... Every sperm is sacred Every sperm is great If a sperm is wasted God gets quite irate Every sperm is sacred is So you see my problem, little ones? I can't keep you all here any longer. Speak up! i can't keep you all here any longer god has blessed us so much i can't afford to feed you anymore can you have your bows cut off oh, it's not as simple as that nigel god knows all he'd see through such a cheap trick what we do to ourselves we do to him
0: you could have had them pulled off in an accident no,
1: no children i know you're trying to help but believe me my mind's made up. I've given this long and careful thought, and it has to be medical experiments for the lot of you.
3: <laughs> Funny stuff. Michael Corrin says, quote, It becomes increasingly unavoidable that the evidence certainly points to a divine designer, unquote. This might be the judgment of someone who has a degree in politics like Michael does, Michael Corn does. But anyone having a scientific background or even a background in philosophy can see that this unavoidable conclusion could easily have been avoided with a proper education in the nature of reality, the proper understanding of probability, chance, randomness, and even a rudimentary understanding of biology and evolution. you really think he hasn't considered those things? I don't think... I think you need a formal education, uh, a proper education in science, biology, statistics, math, well, you don't. Mean understand. It. You could read
0: someone else's dissertation on it. Who is? Oh, you who can. Has and, and he's education. a
3: smart fellow. Michael yeah. Corrin is a smart individual, but he's not a scientist. Uh, he obviously demonstrates a misunderstanding of these terms. What I'm getting at is: it a misunderstanding, or is he making a choice? What not to think? Well, to reject something for some value he has. I'm not sure. I, I haven't read the book uh, of myself. Of course, he's so. making a choice. Yes, but I think he's delving into an area that he really. Ought to have delved into a little deeper. Right. So, so he doesn't make an explicit um,
0: refutation of any of that material, of any scientific postulates. No, he's using um,
3: these words incorrectly, as okay, we actually yeah. explained uh, on, on previous shows about the on determinism and free mm-hmm. will. We used we t- tried to explain the use of the word chance, probability, uh, randomness. And uh, I don't know if we've ever did a show on evolution, but uh, maybe we should if we haven't. But there's obvious common misconceptions out there by the. Uh, people who are not scientists about evolution, and he's making these mistakes. So yeah, we have he has to be taken it. to task on them. corn goes on in heresy to briefly touch upon the prime mover argument uh, given by Saint Thomas Aquinas, who, by the way, I consider to be a genius of his time and quite possibly an atheist, <laughs> trying to survive in a world um, which rejected reason for faith. Well, he was an Aristotelian. That I do understand. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Saint Thomas said that there was much. um, There must be a first cause called God. Of course, this begs the question: Who created God? And if the answer is no one, then God always existed. And if God always existed, couldn't existence have always existed? (laughs) So it's a little bit of a a false argument there. Actually, Saint Thomas. It's not even an argument. It's a blank out. That's what always happens at that point. A blank out, exactly. Actually, Saint Thomas almost answers this question when he says or he said, that the proposition God exists is self-evident, for the predicate is the same as the subject. In other words, existence is God. St. Thomas also tried to describe thusly, quote, God is simple, without composition of parts, such as body and soul, or matter, or form, unquote. Now, if you listen to that, and understand that, to anyone's understanding, he just described non-existence, Hmm. You know, God is without composition of parts, such as body and soul, or matter or form. To me, that's nothing. That's right. Or perhaps there's more sublime interpretation I'm just not getting, uh, other than the fact that I think St. Thomas Aquinas was probably an atheist. I'm becoming more convinced that in order to understand the universe, the concept of God, the nature of life, we must understand science and philosophy in detail and properly. Of Michael Korn's two books, I find less to agree with... To disagree with in why Catholics are right, and so much more to disagree with in the book Heresy. Having been taught by Catholics, I can fully agree with Korn that Catholics are not afraid of scientific inquiry and of discovery of the truth. I agree, and the, by the way, I, I actually appreciated my Catholic education. <laughs> I agree in the necessity of a moral code, but I do not see that Catholics have a monopoly monopoly on morality, nor do I agree that the Catholic sense of morality is superior to mine. Corn has described notions of value, virtue, and truth to be fundamentally Christian notions, as if to suggest that non-Christians have no sense of value, cannot be virtuous, and truth only lies in Scripture the assertion describes a major misunderstanding of these terms commonplace in Christians although I hesitate to make such a broad generalization and fall into the same trap that (laughs) Corrin does when he paints all atheists with the same brush Corrin agrees with fellow broadcaster Malcolm Mugridge when he said that it is the heart which is aware of God and not reason that is what faith is God perceived by the heart, not by reason, unquote. And Corrin put this into his book, that particular quote. Well, that explains what he means by godless. He means people of reason, and that's why he was yep. relating it to the French Revolution. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You're getting it, Bob. Yeah. Yes. What can anyone say to refute this? In other words, if I may, to perceive God, one must not think. One must not reason. One must not employ logic or understanding or evidence or fact or reason. One must simply feel. How can anyone argue effectively with someone postulating the existence of an entity such as God if your opponent suggests that to understand said entity requires that you don't understand, you must feel? End of argument. and argument doesn't even begin if you accept that. Although though there are several more hours I could take to contradict Corrin's conclusions on such things as abortion, masturbation, stem cell research, euthanasia, drug prohibition, homosexuality, social conservatism, and a host of the other topics he discusses in his books, I'll conclude with what I think is the most important point which he brings up in his books. The concept of morality, which you already talked upon earlier in the show, Bob. Mm. This is what Corrin had to say about pride. Quote, At the root of most sin is pride, the greatest sin of all. I know better. I know best. It's what I want. Unquote. I will forget for the moment that these are words in a book written by a Catholic called Why Catholics Are Right. (laughs) (laughs) The hubris. (laughs) And tackle the deeper meaning. Pride, according to Corin, is a sin against God because it means that in defying God, meaning Scripture, you place yourself as his better. Pride means hubris. It means individuality, an individual reasoning mind cut off from the word of God. To Corin, the greatest virtue is selflessness, a humbling of one's self to God and Scripture. With this notion, I am diametrically opposed. To me, pride is the greatest pleasure one can achieve, the ultimate feeling of self-worth. Pride is evidence of moral perfection. Selflessness is the greatest sin one can commit, in my view. It is the rejection of the concept of self to others. It is death. So, having read Michael Corrin's Why Catholics Are Right and Heresy... I have now affirmed my decision to reject such a religion and philosophy as Catholicism. It has nothing to do with the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, child abuse by priests or Galileo. I reject Catholicism because it is contrary to life. It is contrary to nature. It is contrary to self. It is contrary to reality. It is contrary to reason. And it is contrary to happiness. Catholics are wrong. And so was Michael Korn. (laughs) Sorry, Michael. Does that make you a Protestant? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. It makes me an atheist, a non-theist.
0: That's exactly... You know, it was funny because when we heard that um, uh, Monty Python clip at the beginning where they're talking about being proud Protestants... um, Yes, They were almost reiterating many of the things that you said about science and and, and more objectivity. And yet, what is the religious aspect of Protestantism then? How, how would they call it a religion if it's a rejection of hmm. what might be regarded as religious terms?
3: Well, yes, you're right. A Protestantism is built on a rejection of a pope and the uh, supremacy mm-hmm. of the pope's position on things theocratic. So, you're right. Isn't it odd that groups of people gather together um, in opposition rather than for something. Mm -hmm. You know, I really enjoyed reading those books of Corrin's, and it helps me understand his point of view better, uh, a point of view I obviously disagree with vehemently. But um, I think everybody should read them because, again, it furthers an understanding of a great force in our history and, and today. I mean, there's a lot of political force behind the Catholic uh, Catholics' beliefs as well. Again, Michael goes into a lot well, of things about homosexuality, well, birth control, all that kind of stuff.
0: If you heard my commentaries on, on religion, I, I actually think most religions are a consequence of political movements. They were, they were created and in, in instituted by politicians, uh, priests, popes and uh, emperors of Rome <laughs> you know well sure that's how they come into being and um there has been a lot of uh, commentary in the papers lately about the council of nicaea and constantine and how that had played a huge role in determining a lot of western civilization and the, and the role of the catholic church in it and um so it's not a simple issue of the, the rejection of the deity concept when you're speaking of morality. I think that's the big point we're trying to make today, wouldn't you say? I think so, yes, Bob. Think we made it? Hope so. Okay, well, if we have Give or not, us some feedback if it's you time to it. go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so join us again when we return next week on our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. We'll be right here waiting for you. Take care.
3: Into
1: color, color into black and white Under the bedclothes.
0: I used to be Irish Catholic. Now I'm an American. You know, you grow. I was from one of those Irish neighborhoods in New York. One of those kind of uh, parish schools. wasn't typical. It was Corpus Christi was the name of it. Could have been any Catholic church, right? Our Lady of Great Agony. (laughs) St. Rita Moreno. Her lady of perpetual motion,
1: what's the difference, what's your cry, you do know.
3: Her lady of perpetual motion, what's the difference, what's your cry, do you know?